how would they ever receive and truly revere a, a counter-cultural, perspective-shifting saviour that came to die in order to set them free? Last week we kind of, was a little bit different, we paused, 2 Corinthians, uh, made some, at the same time, some very big, whole Bible connections and took a deep dive uh, into one particular verse whilst looking at the, uh, the whole council uh, of scripture and things like that are really important to do because as we're working through stuff in context, sometimes it's just so big and it's so important that it deserves uh, a deeper dive into why has Paul why has uh, the biblical author said this kind of stuff? Uh, so as we're moving through, do that now and again. And we said last week was really, really, really important. It was really deep. Uh, it was a very rich theological truth. The more we know, we want to grow in faith uh, and understanding of God. And today then is completely different. Uh, it's intensely personal. Uh, it's a passage where we see just how open and honest, um, and I think nowadays we would, we would say vulnerable, when you're kind of putting yourself out there uh, with just n- nothing between you and the people. He's been really open, he's really honest with the Corinthians, and uh, we said this is his most honest, the, the, the rawest letter uh, that we, of his that we've got in the Bible. And for you and for me, there isn't a person here for whom this isn't uh, relevant. It matters to each and every one of us. Uh, So as we get into this text today, then there's no need for a clever introduction or a a joke or a funny picture uh, where we kind of get everybody's attention and we hook ourselves into the text where we establish why this is relevant. Uh, If you're here now, this is relevant to all of us. How many people are here now? Oh my gosh, some people are still not putting hands up. If you're in the room, this is relevant. Some people are like, nah, I'm not, just not doing it. I'm not doing it if it's a funny joke, a, a clever picture, or even just I'm sitting in the room. I'm not doing it. Anyway, look, if you're here, whether you've got <laughs> hands to raise or not, this is absolutely relevant for us. Uh, and as we get to the start of what we would call chapter 6 of Second Corinthians, he's kind of slowly moving out of uh, defending himself and his ministry and in the next few weeks he's going to change his um, direction considerably but today it's kind of a slow move away from that he's still defending himself and he's coming out of this truth that because of what we talked about last week that double imputation Jesus taking your sin and giving you his righteousness each and every one of us has a job to do Uh, in the kingdom. We said a couple of weeks ago now that if you are saved, then you are sent. There's no such thing as saved just to sit. Um, And he's coming out of that truth, still defending himself a little bit, and very, very personally when he does. Uh, And he's moving the Corinthians to a change in their thinking and a change in their behavior. And again, if we're here this morning, if we consider yourself a Christian, if if you go to church regularly, uh, this is absolutely relevant. So, what we're going to see first is the kind of the tail end of his argument from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, considering yourself an ambassador, using God's grace 
in your life. Uh, So verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 tell us that now, because we are fellow workers with you as ambassadors, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, I heard you at the acceptable time, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. And he's essentially saying to them, look, it is time to get to, to, to work. It's time to do something. Now is the right time. Now is the right day. If you're saved, then you are sent. And he throws in from Isaiah 49, uh, and just a kind of a side point, I really like that Paul just throws out quotes from Scripture without chapter and verse. It's really encouraging for us to, 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 to see this. Paul throws back to the Old Testament. He just says, look like it says. And he throws it out. It's often a paraphrase, a, a proper paraphrase. He's, he's not doing his own, I think this is what it means. But it's really encouraging for us that we don't need that kind of chapter verse memory to properly handle Scripture and to use it in our everyday lives. He's looking to Scripture to back up this idea that, look, it's time to get to work as co-workers, as ambassadors. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day. If you're saved, you are sent. Let's get to work. Let's live this out. And David Guzik, who visited us last year, wrote about this, and he said, God's best for our life is never a state of ease and comfort and indulgent inactivity. God wants us to be workers together with him, not couch potatoes or pew potatoes for him. So there's no such thing as saved just to kind of sit and stew, listen and leave. There's no such thing. His point here is, uh, Paul has described believers as ambassadors and now he's saying, look, it is time to get to work to do so. Don't receive all this grace, all this divine uh, empowering in vain, doing nothing with it. Uh, and then he takes his kind of turn to the personal and he starts to defend himself in verse 3. He says, we don't give anyone an occasion for taking an offense in anything so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Yes, he's going to defend himself, but his bigger picture point is... He's defending himself so that what he's saying, what he's teaching, the work that he's doing for God, can't have any faults uh, found with it. So we're saved, we're sent. Yes, we're we're not going to take God's grace in vain, do nothing with it. How do we go about working with it in a way that uh, the, the work itself cannot be blamed? Now, if you've spent any time with people, ever, this is so peopley. If there's nothing wrong with what's going on, the people are going to get a bit personal. Well, like, I can't find fault with what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're teaching, how you, whatever. But you, I don't like. So if there's no fault to be found with the ministry, what you're doing with God's grace in your life, all too often people are then going to turn and say, well, fine. I don't disagree, but I don't like you. Uh, how you're doing it, the person doing it. Almost because there's nothing else to complain about, it's going to get really personal. Um, if you've got more than one child, you've probably seen this in action. Like, there's nothing actually wrong with what's going on, but like, well, you, you're stupid. 
Well, like, you know, what, what happened here, boys? Oh, well, he did this and he did that. I'm like, well, there's nothing actually wrong. And then he called me as a stupid head. Because there's nothing wrong with the work, the situation. It's going to get really personal just for the sake of trying to annoy somebody or cut somebody down. Definitely, definitely happening here in Corinth. Because he now defends himself very passionately, very personally. Uh, and he gives this long list of how he has commended himself. He says how he has demonstrated that he is uh, trustworthy. That his character is... Um, Without reproach, the Bible would say. Um, he gives this quite a serious self-defense. Uh, and he says, look, as God's servants, we've commended ourselves to you in, in every way with great endurance. This is something that's happened over a period of time. Uh, and he gives loads of examples uh, where we've shown ourselves, he's saying to them, to be trustworthy and true. So if you can't find fault with the ministry, it's, it's turned a bit personal. Well, fine, we don't disagree with what Paul is teaching and preaching and what he's doing, but Paul, no. And then he lists how he uh, and his guys around him have shown themselves to be true and trustworthy, and he breaks it down into little chunks. First, he says uh, how they have commended themselves uh, shown themselves to be true with uh, mental struggles, uh, persecutions, difficulties, distresses. He's, he's talking there distresses about just the regular difficulties of day-to-day -day life. Paul was a person, uh, just like us, had worries, anxieties, fears, and stresses like the rest of us, but didn't use those as an excuse to behave poorly uh, publicly with the people. He talks about physical struggles that other people have put upon him. Uh, beatings, imprisonments, uh, riots. And I think, you know, if we're honest, we're really detached from this. I think most of us are really detached from uh, physical struggles put upon us because we're Christians. Um, and if we lived in different parts of the world, this would be very, very different. And lots of our believing brothers and sisters around the world encounter regularly beatings, imprisonments, riots, just for being a Christian. So we're quite detached from that, but we shouldn't forget that for a lot of people, this is the, their day-to-day -day reality of being a believer. He says they've shown their character uh, through situations that they've entered into. They're not afraid of entering into because of the work they're doing. Uh, troubles, sleepless nights, hunger. Uh, and then he kind of balances those nine things with nine very positive things that he and his guys and his team have shown through those difficult things. They've shown themselves to be true, trustworthy, uh, without reproach, uh, with purity, knowledge, patience, benevolence. Evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their life. Genuine love. Truthful teaching. The power of God working in their life. Uh, with weapons of righteousness for right and the left hands. Um, he's still defending himself. And he keeps going and he gives them paradoxes. Nine, all about this number nine, nine paradoxes of ministry. Kind of like you view me like this. Or you expected this of me. But this is actually true. Uh, this is your evaluation of what we're doing when actually uh, it's like this. And from experience, I can, I can tell you that these are, these are really, really true. Like We might look at them and think, no, surely not. Nobody would treat Paul like that. Nobody would treat 
their pastor, their minister, like that. Speaking to friends and peers around the world, this is, these are very, very true things of people who are working uh, in ministry. And as we work through this list of paradoxes, as uncomfortable as it might be, uh, I want you to think about how you have interacted with people in church who are serving God by serving you. And that could be here, now. It could be in a church from your past. But how you've interacted with people who are serving God uh, by serving you. The, the, the Pauls, the Timothys in your life. Uh, so Paul says, um, we've proven ourselves, our, demonstrated our character through both glory and dishonor when we've been slandered and when we've been praised. Where we've been regarded as imposters and yet received as really true uh, servants of God. When in situations where we've been completely unknown and ignored uh, in the community and times when we've been really well known and really well acknowledged in the community. Uh, times when we've been perceived, viewed as those who were dying yet were truly alive. Those who've been scourged, uh, told off, put down verbally. Andy's talked about the physical as well. Uh, yet not executed, not killed. Uh, people who are viewed as, uh, evaluated as being sorrowful in their life, but yet we're always truly rejoicing. Um, as poor by standards of the world around them and in people with comparable non-ministry jobs. Uh, Corinth was a, a really, we said it's a lot like Bahrain. Lots of cultures coming together, lots of trade, lots of commerce. Lots of people there lived very comfortable lives. But they look at Paul as being quite poor because he doesn't value the things and have the outward displays of wealth that they might. Uh, so poor by the standards of the world around them, but actually making many other people truly rich, spiritually rich, which is just a, such a great contrast between how the Corinthians expected their minister to come to them, how they expected their guy to present himself as a, as a rich, worldly winner in this multicultural, diverse, thriving place. Somebody who's worthy of their time and attention and their financial support and their affections Versus how Paul really came and presented himself. Just very uh, humble, kind of salt of the earth. Just being who he was. Uh, as people who've got nothing yet possessing, truly possessing everything. And so having laid this out for them, having defended now of, a, again, what we would call loads of chapters, his ministry, and now himself, he's bringing them to uh, kind of a... a point of decision, a bit of a call to action, something for the Corinthians to do based on what he has said. This is not just a load of empty waffle where he's complaining about how mean they've been to him. He wants them to do something about what's going on there because they're saved and sent as ambassadors, just like Paul is. And the same is true uh, for me and for you here and now. What do we, what do, we do now, having read this part of our Bibles. What does this do for us? How does this change us? Uh, and in verses 11 to 13, there is a call to action. There is something for us to do based on this part of our Bible. So we'll read again verses 11, 12, and 13. Paul says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection for you is not restricted. But you are restricted in your affections for us. Now as a fair exchange... I speak as to my children, 
Open wide your hearts to us also. And again, he's, he's, he's been really open. He's been really honest. And he said, look, this is how we've been to you. We've been really open. We've been really honest. Uh, I think about Ephesians 4, 15. We're practicing. We're speaking the truth uh, in love. He says, our heart is wide open to you. He, you know, he's, we feel really deeply about you. And we think very often about you. Our affection for you is not restricted. Uh, maybe your Bible says that you are not restricted by us. Uh, very simply what he's saying is that we are not holding you back at all by what we're doing, the work, and how we're doing it, the person. And then he says, look, actually, it's, uh, it's quite the opposite. You are restricted in your affections for us. Um, you're kind of holding me back with how we're interacting here. Your affections are elsewhere. Uh, where were their affections? Well, they loved the world and everything in it. They're a, it's a lure, all the stuff that it promised them. Again, they lived in this multicultural, diverse, thriving place, just like we do. And they were a little bit in love with the life that it produced or offered them. Uh, and he's going to get there in, in the following verses. And some of the stuff that he's written over a couple of letters shows us that they love themselves too much. They thought too highly of themselves. And again, by what he said, they were just flat refusing to give any of that affection to Paul. Um, and so he says, look, uh, as, a, as a fair exchange, I'll speak to you really openly, really honestly, like I would my own children, my own family. Please, open your hearts to us likewise so that we've got a fair and uh, equitable relationship. We're all saved. We're all sent. We've all got different roles and responsibilities in the community that we're in together. But I feel like I love you more than you love me. Uh, is basically what he's saying. And so what we've got here, we've got this spiritual father, Paul. We've got this um, spiritual brother, uncle. Maybe he's not old enough to be everybody's dad, but we've got this Spiritual leader for the community, Paul, saying, look, please, respond as, as, as my own children, uh, as if you're my own family. Um, I feel like I love you more than you love me. Um, despite the apparent failures that they perceived in him, the criticisms that they made of him, the misunderstandings between them, how their initial expectations of him were not met, he says, look, please, so it's fair here, uh, Love, show love like you have been loved. That's not a, a, a ridiculous uh, ask of them, is it? To, to love as you have been loved. And so we said this is uh, intensely personal. There's an immediate application for us here. And there's also a much bigger picture application. So immediately we can, we can practice this truth uh, here and now. And this is why it's intensely personal because this has been said from somebody who is engaged in ministry to a group of people uh, <laughs> and he's saying to them, please be nice to me. <laughs> you, I, I feel like I like you more than you like me. Um, I feel like I've proved it, shown it, and, and I don't feel like I'm getting some of it back. This might have been a good week to have a guest speaker. Uh, come in and <laughs> say this stuff. But thankfully, because we just worked through Scripture week by week, I've not picked this. 
to try and make you be nice to me. This is, just, this, is, this is just what it says. It's intensely personal. Paul is saying, I feel like I like you and think about you and do more for you than you do for me. And for some people, this is really uncomfortable because it's really true. And for me, it's really uncomfortable because I know there's people for whom that's true. I'm not making eye contact with anybody in particular. Brenda, in particular. No, no I, was, I was looking there, but I'm saying I'm not doing it in particular. You're just in that seat. Uh, this might have been a good week for a guest speaker, but... Um, it's been said from a minister to the people. Look, I feel like I love you more than you love me, and I don't feel like you show it very often. Your expectations are, yeah, we need to get on the same page. And I've been thinking about this this week and how I would evaluate where we're at together as the minister and the people, uh, as the pastor and the people. And I thought, how do I, how do I put this across? How do I share this with you? Uh, so, how many people have seen the Lord of the Rings films? Oh, so now we're comfortable raising hands. <laughs> when we're establishing the fact that the Bible is really relevant to us, and if you're here today, it's for you. Well, no, it's not for me. But when we're saying, like, how many people have seen Lord of the Rings? We're like, <laughs> all of them, extended director's cut. <laughs> anyway, if you've seen Lord of the Rings... Uh, at the start of the first movie, there's a birthday party. Who is it for? Bilbo. Surname? Baggins. Good, Bilbo Baggins. Uh, and at his birthday party, Bilbo says this. And reading through this passage in first, uh, Second Corinthians, I thought, how do I evaluate, how do I communicate where I feel like we're at with one another? And uh, Bilbo says, I don't know half of you as well as I should, really. And I like, <laughs> don't get this wrong, I like less than half of you as well as you deserve. And when he says this at his party, there's kind of an awkward silence because people think that he is saying that he doesn't like them. But what he's saying is, I don't know many of you as much as I would like. I wish that we did more together. I wish that we'd spent more time together. I wish that I knew you better. And he says, I like some of you less than, less than you deserve. Um, there, there, there should be a better, more open, honest relationship, which is a two-way thing. And you can't have that if you don't know somebody. Uh, and again, I was thinking about this this week. And you know what? I think I would, I would, <laughs> I would agree. I would agree with Bilbo there. I, I think I would honestly say this as the pastor to the people, as the, 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 the Paul in our particular context. Um, and I would, I would wonder, we don't need hands here. Because <laughs> it would be really upsetting if you don't put your hand up now. Uh, and I wonder if you, would, if you would honestly say the same. As the Corinthians here, would you, would you really, thinking about me, for example, would you say this? Don't put hands up now because it's really upsetting if you don't. But it's a really strong challenge that, is it a two-way street? Is there a fair exchange of affection, of, 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 just of relationship? Is it a fair and equitable relationship? 
And if you don't want to think about me, that's fine, because beyond me, there are opportunities to practice this in church as well. There is application here with your growth group leaders, uh, your ministry leaders, the, the, the chaplains who look after you in your military life, those who serve us in church each and every week, who plan their days around, well, I'm going to be at church in the morning because I'm welcoming people into church. I'm teaching your kids. So that's my Friday morning. Do you know, do you, do you really know them? Do you know them? Do you love them? Do you appreciate them? Those people who serve God by serving you. And like Paul is saying here, if not, why not? Because that's not a fair exchange. And look, very, very simply, there is, there is a leader in your life who cares about you as a person who loves you, who works hard to serve you, and is potentially, I can't speak for anybody else, potentially feeling like Paul is here. That there isn't a fair exchange of affections, uh, as he says. Uh, and again, so he says, look, to make it fair, open your hearts wide to us also. Uh, let's, let's meet each other in the middle. And so there is an immediate application for us here and now, and it's going to benefit you and that leader person. I guarantee you that. Uh, but as with many things in, well, all things in Scripture, many things in the life of the church, this is all just a, a, a it's pointing to something else. Church life is just a preview. It's just a practice of the bigger picture. Uh, because, thankfully, uh, our, the passage today is not just about getting you to be nice to me. Um, <laughs> and so as Paul is urging the Corinthians, he's been really straight, really open, really honest. As Paul is urging them, I really, truly believe that God is urging you today to love him as he loves you. That's the bigger picture truth here. And we practice that on the people that you've got in front of you. We can't profess and claim to love a God that we've uh, never seen. But yet, not his people around us. So I really believe that what God is saying to you today is to, to love him as he loves you and to practice that on the people that are in front of you. Because we too, as Paul was to the Corinthians, we too have a spiritual father John chapter 1 tells us that all who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior is given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. And so we have a spiritual father who asks his own children to respond to the love that he has shown them. I think Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your mind, your whole being, your whole strength. Mark 12, Jesus is asked, What's the most important commandment? What's the, you know, what's, what's the big to do? Jesus says the most important thing. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second thing also in equal importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And we're called to do this despite our own misunderstandings. Despite our own initial expectations, our own misconceived ideas about God not being met. I think about Isaiah 53. There were some serious unmet expectations there of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by people. He wasn't received by many as the coming king. 
the, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus then says to us, look, love like you've been loved. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love like you've been loved. And so bigger picture from this passage, uh, if the Corinthians here and us now were not and are not able, willing to accept and affirm their minister sent to give them a little preview of what awaits them one day. If we can't appreciate those who serve God by serving us, who are not uh, winners by the world's standards, who didn't meet the Corinthians or our own personal preferences or preconceived ideas, uh, even if there's no fault to be found with both their work and their person, as Paul's covered, if, if they can't do that, how would they ever receive and truly revere a, a counter-cultural perspective-shifting Savior that came to die in order to set them free from sin's curse. And again, this passage is, is, is teaching us, is showing us that God is urging us all to live a life of love just as he has loved us. And that has, that has to start here in church with one another. Really, really simply, we're to practice the love that we have for the Lord with those people around us. It is the defining mark, Scripture tells us. It is the defining mark of a believer. By this, people are going to know that you're believers, that you're Christians, that you love one another. It's the defining mark of a believer, of a church, that, that we show love to one another. And again, I think about... 1 John chapter 3, where he says, look, let's not just talk about it. Let's not say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And so again, really, really simply, we're going to practice the love that we've got for the Lord with those around us. And I really, really hope that you will join me in a renewed commitment to do so, having walked through this text today. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's stand and let's pray together.